0: West Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So we were talking uh, about a month, month and a half ago, I forget the exact time frame. And Jeremy and I were talking about who we wanted to have fulfill this, this Sunday. And the name that came to mind for both of us was Dr. Matt Lewis. Uh, We have both uh, experienced his leadership over the last year along with Denise uh, when we went through an an ongoing training process that he is in charge of. Uh, Matt has been a pastor for many years. He planted a church in Wisconsin that grew and was very, very healthy, did very well. He's on the faculty at Ashland uh, Seminary, and he's also the director of a program through the Sandberg Leadership Center called Pastors of Excellence, and he's been involved in training and ministering to pastors for years. And he has a message today that both both Jeremy and I, when we thought about him speaking, we said we want him to bring this message. It's a message that is inviting, beautiful, and invites us to relook at what I think is one of the most critical spiritual habits that is so easy for us to forget. So would you welcome today Dr. Matt Lewis. Would you join me in praying for him? Lord, thank you so much for Matt. Thank you for the impact he's had on our lives. Thank you for the impact this message has had on our lives that he's going to deliver again today. And Lord, thank you for the way you uh, anoint him by your spirit. Would you come and bless us now through him? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, man.
1: Thank you. That's wonderful to hear that you are giving your pastor probably one of the greatest gifts at least when I was in ministry, one of the greatest gifts people could give me, and that was the gift of time. Um, Someone has said that time is money, and Abraham Heschel said, no, it's not. Time is life. What a cheap exchange. So I'm glad they gave you the greatest gift they really can of time. May you use that. Um, My wife and I married 26 years ago, in the first seven years of our marriage, uh, we were child-free. And then God decided something different for us. And, you know, sometimes when God does things, he, he does things like a gentle stream, and sometimes he does things like a fire hose. And my wife and I went from child-free to four under four in less than four years. It felt like a fire hose, um, I have, I have great children, but uh, one of the places that I experienced the fire hose of life most profoundly, and, and it's kind of, a, it was kind of a metaphor for that time in our life, was our refrigerator front. Now, if you have kids, you probably know what I'm talking about already. Children have this incredible ability to produce artwork, massive volumes Of artwork. And they are like God. They like to, sometimes they think they're God, but they are like God in that they like to display their artwork. The display of artwork on our refrigerator became oppressive. Uh, We would close the refrigerator door and we'd take five minutes to pick everything up that had fallen. Anyone here identify with that? You either have kids or you were a kid. Anyone here? Yeah? So my wife came up with this wonderful idea. We had done an addition to our house uh, to build a a ground floor, small bedroom and dining room and office, primarily for our, we had a, a medically challenged foster child for about three and a half years. We didn't know how long we were going to have Tevi. And uh, we couldn't, he was too big to carry up and down the stairs anymore. And so we built this addition down below. And in our garage, we had to put an extra layer of drywall for a fire, fire coat. It was a firewall because we had living space there. And rather than finish it, my wife had this wonderful idea. She went out into the garage and she put big lines of tape and divided that whole garage wall into four sections. And then one morning, let all of our children out into the garage, and she said, children, here is your art gallery. You may put anything between this tape and this tape, Josiah, anything you want up in your art gallery. I mean, our you know, our kids were beaming. Oh, we can do it. Now, there's one trick here. On the refrigerator, you can only put one piece of art. You have to choose what is that special artwork that you want to go on the refrigerator and everything else goes out in your art gallery. It actually was pretty ingenious. I I have a good wife. It worked very well. Now, prior to pastoring or planting New Vision Brethren in Christ Church up in Wisconsin, I had the privilege of being a, a park chaplain. I was park chaplain in the Grand Tetons. Anyone ever been to the Grand Tetons? One, two, three, a few. I mean, magnificent. Aren't they magnificent? Um, And then I was park chaplain up in Yellowstone. If you went to the Tetons, you probably went to Yellowstone as well. Anyone spend more than two days in Yellowstone? Oh, good. Too many people, they drive in and they go around the upper loop. They go around the lower loop the next day and then they drive on. In fact, they would stop by the front desk and say, I did the upper loop and the lower loop. Is there anything else to see in the park? i say, well, I've hiked about 200 miles, feel like I barely touched it, but no, you got all of it. You saw it. Amazing place. And so it got me thinking about the earth. God is a creative God. What does God think is worthy of his refrigerator? Here's an amazing art gallery. Now, do you guys ever dialogue here? Do they talk back at you at all? Okay, so what are some really cool places that you have been to that are just amazing to see? Hawking, hey, thank you. In fact, who is that? I Can I talk to you after service because I brought two boys with me and we're actually going down to Hawking Hills. I've never been there. So we're going to go down. We're, we're camping tonight and we're hoping to rock climb tomorrow. Hawking Hills, I've heard it's beautiful. What else? Think bigger. Mount Rainier. Has anyone seen Mount Rainier? I mean, big mountain. I had The privilege of climbing on Mount Rainier. And that became our mantra. Big mountain. I mean, you can walk and walk and walk and walk and it's still going up. Any other places? Yosemite. Yosemite. Oh, my word. Oh, those waterfalls are just amazing. Did you do uh, Misty Falls Trail? That's the one where you're hiking right up next to the falls and that's actually like raining on you. Yeah. Uh, you get cold. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Any others? Where? Bay of Bengal and Bangladesh. What was amazing about it? I've never been there. Wow. I love beach. You know, for me, my idea of vacation is I do nothing but lay on a beach and look at the backside of my sunglasses. Anyone else identify with that? I don't know about you, but my life is so full, so busy, so much stuff I can't... My dad used to like to drive like eight hours a day on vacation. That is not vacation. That's work. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Um, You know, my favorite cartoon, little cartoon, is a Ziggy cartoon. Anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? Um, It's this cartoon of Ziggy standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. He's looking down and he's clapping his hands saying, Go, God! Just a wonderful image. Well... Our Earth is amazing, but do you realize how little of creation our Earth really is? I mean, if we just look at our solar system and look at the planets in our solar system, this is just for perspective. So down here's the Earth, and look at the size of Jupiter compared to the Earth. I I just heard recently that an average 150-pound man would weigh 800 pounds on Jupiter because of the gravitational force of its mass. But if we think Jupiter's big, um, Jupiter, compared to our sun, our sun is huge. I mean, this just begins to give you perspective. Here, here's that earth, you know, right there. And, and the Grand Canyon wouldn't even show up in a pixel. You know? I mean, it's nothing. And, but if we think our sun is big, the reality is, folks, our sun is actually a very tiny star. Uh, tonight, if you get out of the city, or if you can find a dark spot, um, look out into the night sky, and other than the planets, there are some planets you can see that, that show up really bright. But the brightest star in our night sky is called Antares. It's because of its size and because of its relative close proximity to our Earth. And just to give you a sense of the size of Antares, here is our sun compared to Antares. Um, our God is an amazing creator. An amazing creator. Because as big as that is, the truth is, folks, Antares is not really that big of a star. It's bright in our sky because of how close it is. But the largest star that we know of in our galaxy is, I'm sorry, instead of Arcturus, is Antares. And Antares is a hypergiant. Here is Arctares. Our sun is one pixel in comparison to the largest star that we're aware of in our galaxy. Another way of envisioning that, if you could superimpose our solar system onto this one hypergiant star, it would look like this. That uh, grid is uh, Antares, and this line here is the orbit of Jupiter. Jupiter. Our earth is one, two, right there's our earth's orbit. In other words, you stand out and you look out into the night sky and you see Jupiter and that star, that's halfway to the star. There, it, it's huge. I, I'm, a, I'm a visual kind of person. I like to vision things. And so another picture that's helpful for me, our second largest star is VVCPI. And here would be a depiction if our sun could sit next to CCVV or VVCCI. Uh, we live in an amazing universe. Our God spoke, and it was there. Uh, by the way, someone has said, um, you know, what we see in our galaxy is amazing, but but we actually look out and some of the lights we see out there aren't stars, but they're galaxies. And as, as we've progressed, we can see more and more and more. And so when the Hubble Telescope was finally built, which enabled us to see in ways that we couldn't even fathom before that, some scientists chose to take the Hubble Telescope and turn it to the darkest section in the night sky that they could find. Now, it focused in on that dark section of the night sky... Similar to if you were to take an oval the size of a dime and put it a football field away from you and then look at just through that oval at the darkest place in the night sky and you could focus in with a Hubble telescope, what would you see? And here is a picture of what they saw. And what's even more amazing is that four of these aren't even stars. They're galaxies of stars. Now, I have a, a my initial degree was in biochemistry, so I loved science before I went into the ministry. Still love science. Um, I don't know how scientists can even begin to approximate the number of stars, but someone has said that they would approximate the number of stars, and I I can't say that. Anyone here say that number? I have no idea what it is. Uh, It's more than I can even imagine. But this I do know, that our God counts the numbers of the stars. And in fact, he not only counts the number of the stars, but he gives names to every single one of them. Do we serve a great God? Is our Lord awesome? Is he amazing? And so with all of that creation, all of that amazing activity of our Lord... What goes on his refrigerator? You know, the book of Genesis actually tells us. um, I say what's special. The religious word for that is holy. Holy means literally set apart. Uh, They would have vessels that would be used in the temple that were considered holy. Uh, They were special. They were set apart. And so God takes six days and creates the whole universe... And whether you want to believe that's a literal six days or six epochs, I'll leave that to you. But when he is done with all of this amazing creation, he then calls one thing special. And the very first thing that God says is holy in the Scriptures is not a thing. In fact, it's not us. But it's time. The Lord said in all of my creation... All that I've made, every valley, every hill, every mountain, every waterfall, every planet, every solar system, every star, even those most amazing stars, all of it, as wonderful as it is, none of it's special. What's special for me is Sabbath. By the way, the reason I think that is, is because God is really into relationship. And my experience is relationship only happens in time. You can even separate space and have relationship, but you can't separate time. God's most amazing creation is Sabbath. Now, I want to walk with you on Sabbath and God's intention of Sabbath and what Sabbath is for God, but let me give a disclaimer right from the get-go. I know there are groups who want to... Uh, debate whether Sabbath is Saturday or Sunday or Friday evening to Saturday evening. Or, um, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, I'm not looking to debate that. I'm talking about Sabbath as a qualitatively different kind of time that God has created. And, and He is called special. He is called holy to give it to you. I also know that there are groups who want to debate what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And uh, I, I'll leave that to you. There are groups that have all kinds of interpretations and I'm not looking to try and impose any kind of uh, r- 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 regimented or legalistic interpretation of what you you, know, you you can't shop or you can shop or you can't drive or you can drive. Or uh, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, but I do want to argue, and I think I can argue from Scripture, and I want to show you in Scripture that the most beautiful thing that God has ever created is a separate component of time that he is called special. He is called holy because its intention is to interface with you in an intimate and deep way. And that's what God values. Relationship. So, if we can, let's look into Genesis. Uh, you don't have to turn there if you have your Bible because I'm going to run through it so fast. Uh, but I want to give you just some, some realities that we find in the fabric of Scripture that is is uh, interpretive of the fabric of creation. How God has made our universe and he has gifted it to us. So I said the first thing he calls holy is Sabbath. In fact, no God calls no thing holy until after the golden calf. In other words, it's almost as though God's designation of a holy place or a holy thing is an accommodation to human reality. In fact, our human sin, when we first went and built the golden calf to worship it and call it holy, God said, fine, you need a holy thing, I'll give you a holy thing. But God's initial intention is that that the specialness would be in, in time because it's about relationship. In fact, in biblical Hebrew, there's actually no word for thing. In, in our world, our reality, um, our, our language, the word reality comes from Latin, the word res. The word res in Latin is thing. And so for our worldview, our Western mindset, reality is thinghood. You know, this is reality, this is reality, that's reality. What I can touch and smell and taste, it, it's, our, it's our diving into scientism. If I can't measure it with some kind of means, it doesn't exist. But, but for, for the Hebrew mindset, there was no biblical word for thing. Scholar Abraham Heschel, Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel, asked the question, is that because Hebrew had a linguistic poverty? Or could it be that it was an unadulterated worldview of what reality really is? Something beyond thinghood. It's about time. If you look at Genesis chapter, the first section in our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, 1-1 through uh, chapter 2, verse 3, that's actually the first section. I know someone in the 1500s decided to put divisions in it and decided one ended at the end of the whatever verse it did. They made a mistake. It's the first section actually goes through 2-3. And, and if you look at it, there's actually seven sections in that first hunk of Scripture. In those seven sections... Each major word that's used, like God and light and life, they're all in multiples heaven. They're all in multiples of seven. The very first verse in your Bible, the first Hebrew sentence, is comprised of seven words. The second sentence, by the way, is comprised of 14 words. If you look at that seventh section, it's comprised of three sentences, and each one of those three sentences are made up of seven words. And each one of those three sentences with the seven words they have the same middle word in the sentence which happens to be seventh day. That very thing that God called holy. In fact, I I will argue that sabbath this this septenary structure that we find In the book of Genesis that was part of creation is so evident that fascinating, we find, um, cultures from almost every continent, even before they were, they were, they encountered the, the, uh, biblical worldview, the Hebrew scriptures came up with seven day weeks. I mean, there are some cultures that toyed with four day weeks and five day weeks and ten day weeks, but almost every one of them landed on a seven day week. Cultures of uh, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Indians, the Chinese, the Mongols, the Malaysians, the Germans, the Greeks, North American Indians. All these cultures separately arrived at what is obvious in Scripture, but even more obvious in creation, this septenary structure. What's really fascinating is in chapter 2, verse 2... There's an interesting twist to the verse that has caused a lot of, of uh, scholars to debate what's going on. Uh, Genesis 2.2 uh, says, On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had begun. And so the debate goes like this. If the scriptures say, On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had begun, what did he create on the seventh day? Remember, Jesus argued the resurrection from the tense of a verb. You know, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so God is a God of the living, not the dead. And so, I mean, the the tenses mattered to these folks. And so they asked, if if in fact God finished his creation in six days and only rested, then it would have said on the sixth day he finished the work. But that's not what it says. It says on the seventh day God finished the work that he had begun. And so what is it that God finished? finished? What is it that God created? And, and there was all kinds of, of um, fruit juice that was spilt over it, you know, bean juice was spilt over it. They didn't have ink. They, they made their own ink. Rabbi Rashi in the Megillah finally settled the debate by saying this, after six days of creation, what did the universe yet lack? Menucha, the Hebrew word for tranquility. Came Sabbath came tranquility, and the universe was complete. Folks, when God made the most precious thing that goes on his refrigerator, it's not that God just rested, but God actually created rest. Now, I suspect just because of my drive here and knowing your proximity to Columbus proper, and seeing some of the homes in the area and the homes that are getting built, I suspect that this is probably a fairly driven community. Is that fair? Is this a community that experiences busy? I mean, do you meet people that you say, how are you? And the first thing they say is, ah, oh, busy. It's almost like if you're harried, it's a virtue. You know, we, we we're somehow, we're, we're honored because we're so busy. We feel this need to fill up our day and fill up our time. And, you know, hey, can I get together with you? Let me look at my schedule. In fact, in our culture, you know what the most sacrosanct thing is? <laughs> it's your schedule. No one will question your schedule. If you say, oh, I got an appointment on Tuesday. They don't even ask you what it is. If it's in the calendar, it's, it's holy. It's, it's set apart. Right? I find it fascinating that the most wonderful thing that God has created is the very thing that our culture so desperately, desperately needs. And that's time set apart to rest and to encounter God. Abraham Heschel says, Sabbath is God's gift to man to mend our tattered lives. To mend our tattered lives. In Psalm 23, it says, He makes me lie down. He leads me beside waters of Manuha. God's desire is to actually lead you beside waters of Manuha. And 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 if, if we will refuse to allow Him to lead us beside waters of Manuha because our life is so jam-packed with stuff, if we become human doings rather than human beings and we've scheduled God out, He will then make us lie down. In fact, if if you read the prophets, in the major prophets it tells us that the amount of time that God threw the Israelites out of the promised land, 587 BC, God threw them out of the promised land and he threw them out for a very specific period of time. And and the Hebrew prophets tell us that that time was dictated by the number of years that the Israelites refused to give the land its Sabbath. You see, the Israelites were supposed to plant and work the land for six years and then let it lay fallow and then then work it for six years and then let it lay fallow. That was part of the old covenant rhythm of life. And the land was due its Sabbath. And God said, okay, I will throw you out of the land and the land will lay fallow for all of the Sabbaths if it's due. I think sometimes we fail to realize you will get Sabbath. You just might not enjoy it, because our life is so full. I, I, was, I was talking to Ross, um, one of my favorite books written by a, a medical doctor in Wisconsin, I'm a Wisconsin boy, um, called Margins. He has three basic premises. Premise number one, progress means more and more, faster and faster. He says, hey look, progress is not bad. I, we all like progress. Um, I just recently had some work in my mouth. And let me tell you, I was glad for the progress of Novocaine. So progress is good, but progress by definition means more and more, faster and faster. Uh, Just consider the amount of messages you had to deal with 30 years ago versus today. I mean, 30 years ago, you didn't have email. Five years ago, most of us didn't even have Twitter. I mean, the amount of messages has gone up logarithmically. So he says, progress means more and more, faster and faster, premise number one. Premise number two, humans have limitations. By the way, is that a fair premise? Is that fair? We have emotional limitations. We have financial limitations. We have, we have uh, spiritual limitations. We have physical limitations. And then premise number three of margins is the trajectory of progress is on a collision course with the limitations of humanity. I mean, why is it in the most prosperous culture of the world so many of us need antidepressants to live the good life? Please, don't hear me speak against antidepressants. I get it. But why is it? Because we have so filled our... You know, when I look at Jesus, the only human emotion that I don't find in him, I find him angry... I find him happy, I find him uh, sad, uh, uh, I find him mad, angry. Uh, you know, uh, the whole gamut of human emotions I find in Jesus, the one human emotion I do not find in Jesus is hurried. Are any of you like me? I, I'm like ahead of schedule and I still speed. <laughs> why, why do I do that? There's almost, it's almost like it's become part of our, our DNA to rush. To get to the next thing. And yet the most precious gift that God has given us is Sabbath. Calvin Miller has said, The last barrier to full intimacy with the Savior is hurriedness. Does anyone here know what a sinkhole is? The rest of you that aren't raising your hand, you just don't raise hands in church. You're afraid I'm asking to volunteer for something. (laughs) My mom buys sinkhole insurance. She lives in a place where there are sinkholes. Uh, The definition of uh, sinkholes happen because the, the tensile strength of the ground is sufficient to hold it up while the currents underneath of whatever are wiping out all the supporting stuff. And... And on top, it looks just fine. It looks fine. It looks like a place you can build a house. And you maybe even can go down a ways. Because the, the, what's wiping away the support is so far down here, and it's happening so slow, you don't even notice it. And it's just fine until all the support or sufficient support is gone that the tensile strength of the surface can no longer contain it, and then you end up with a sinkhole. And collapse happens. God's desire is that that stuff underneath that gets washed away by the realities of life would get replenished on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and on an annual basis. The Hasidic Jews called the morning prayer the Sabbath of the day. That that once a week day that's set aside for no regular work and whatever that is you know for pastors one of the reasons i i hate the debate over is it's saturday or sunday or this day pastors uh if you determine it's sunday pastors can't sabbath because i mean pastors are working like crazy they're putting emotional energy emotional outpour i mean it's just it's through the roof you have no idea you know giving giving ross the gift of not preaching this morning you're not giving him 40 minutes or 30 minutes you're not even giving them 10 hours of prep plus the 30 minutes. You're giving them a whole week of anxiety. I mean, the emotional reality of, of knowing you have to bring God's word for God's people, it, it, it's, it's powerful. It's a, it's a huge gift of time. It's a huge gift of replenishing what's underneath down here. The reality is we all need desperately need that replenishing. I'm going to give you just a couple practicals and... and um, One of the things I find in the scriptures is that Jesus was regularly mobbed and had to minister. And by the way, Jesus had more to do than any of us have to do. He got it all done in three and a half years of ministry. He accomplished a lot more than any of us will in our whole life. And yet Jesus was never harried. But he was mobbed. And so if you look in the scriptures, you actually find a Jesus whose goal was not to do ministry, but his goal was to get alone with the Father. His goal was to Sabbath. That's a whole other message I could give you and I won't today. But, but he, he seeks after the time with the Father. And in fact, in John chapter 5, he says uh, the Son does nothing of himself. He does what he sees the Father doing. That's, how, that's why he was able to do such amazing things. And then ministry finds him and he, and he ministers and then he goes to get alone with, with the Father. He goes to replace and so um here 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 are just a couple practicals jesus had to constantly find new strategies to do it constantly went down by the lake went up on the mountain sent his disciples across the lake while he went up on the mountain left the country i mean all kinds of new strategies the the jews would practice um when they did the sabbath one of the practices was to light a candle at sundown they would do sabbath it was sundown to sundown And they used to say that the woman of the house, as she would light the candle, that it was an act of stating that the stopping had begun. Are you like me, if if you gotta go to an appointment, I wanna get just one more thing done before I go to the appointment? I'm late for so many appointments because I wanna get one more thing done. Well, not once that candle's lit, you no more can do anything. Setting of a time to actually stop. One of the practices that my family and I did for a period of time in trying to find Sabbath, because I was a huge Sabbath violator and, and almost lost my ministry because of it, um, almost lost my soul because of it. One of the things we began to practice was, a, was a, a, a practice called the Sabbath box, where Jewish families, when the Sabbath would begin, they'd built a box and they'd open the box and as you entered into your day of rest, whatever it was, Tuesday or Thursday, or you would take anything that you did not need for the Sabbath and you'd place it into the box. And then you'd close the box and you'd lock it so that you wouldn't be tempted to pick up that cell phone. I used to put my computer mouse in my box. <laughs> and it actually worked. I mean, it really did work. Because in Nehemiah, you find that he put guards at the gates of Jerusalem at the time when they were going to practice Sabbath as a community. Why? Because they needed, they needed some guards. I, I'm convinced we need guards. So sometimes what we do are things that we, that we, uh, we don't do. Other times are things that we actually do in, in the, um, the, the tradition that grew around the law. That grew around the 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 five books of Moses. Um, they they would would place these guards, these hedges, these practices for the Jews so that they could maintain Sabbath. And one of the the principles that was engaged, one of the kind of the the, the guards, because Sabbath is to be a day of celebration. It's the it's the reason why they would always have dessert on the Sabbath. It's the reason why they would bring out their finest china uh it's the reason why they would wear their best clothes it was about celebrating and um so one of the rules that grew up was a righteous couple on the sabbath would make love every sabbath because it's about celebration i mean that sounds like a great idea to me i usually hear a few amens from the guys at least on that well there was this one (laughs) there was this one group that uh, wayne Mueller, who was writing on sabbath Uh, had encountered, where they actually modified it, and they said a righteous couple will make love three times on the Sabbath. Usually I get another amen from some of the guys, not all. In fact, I've had several guys ask me for copies of my sermon after telling this story. Well, Wayne Mueller had gotten to know the rabbi pretty well, and after a year of hanging out with him, he said, I finally had to ask. So he said, I went to the rabbi, and and I said, Rabbi, may I ask you a personal question? And the rabbi said, certainly. He said, you know, that that thing about making love three times as a righteous couple on the Sabbath, um, does your group really mean that? And the rabbi calmly said, no, generally only once. But we have high hopes for the other two. Do you know, the Lord spoke to me one time when I was rehearsing this message, and I was laughing over that thought, and the Lord said, you know, Matt, the church is my bride, and I have high hopes for the other two as well. God loves intimacy. You realize when we go to heaven, you know, they talk about the marriage feast, we look forward to the marriage feast. I got married, and I can tell you, the highlight of getting married was not the the wedding feast. (laughs) I mean, the meal was going to be good, but I was looking for what was beyond the meal. It's the reality of intimacy. God's desire for Sabbath is that we would have deep intimacy with the Lord. Deep intimacy. Now, to do that, sometimes we need to add things. More often, we need to subtract things. Um, any of you know the words that are in the word family of Decide. I mean, we tend to think the side is I choose this or I choose this or I choose that. If you look at the words that are in the word family of decide, um, infanticide, insecticide, pesticide, homicide, suicide, all the words that are in the, the frame of decide are really about elimination. Deciding is not so much about choosing because most of us will over-choose. If we go to a buffet, we leave feeling awful because we've overchosen, But deciding in its entomology, in its, in its foundation, is much more about elimination. It's about subtracting. And I'm convinced that most North Americans really need to spend time and say, Lord, what do you want me to subtract? And it may be a sin, but it may be a wonderful thing too that is just not key. Lord, what do you want me to Give to you a subtraction. And so to end my message, I would like to invite you into a spiritual exercise that I read from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Now, if you have that book and have read it, you will not read this discipline unless you have a first edition copy. Uh, he wrote it in 78, and some evangelicals had a problem with imagination, and, and so they, he took it out. Uh, I would guess he maybe has put it back in since because he speaks a lot about imagination. But I want to pray a prayer with you that God would sanctify your imagination. And then I'm going to invite the Spirit of God through a visualization exercise into that place of your imagination and see if the Lord might not identify for you something that he would like you to subtract, to eliminate. Would you close your eyes and just picture with me after I'm done praying, Lord, I pray that you would sanctify our imagination and we welcome the Holy Spirit to come in a unique way into this time of Sabbath right now, this qualitatively different time, and to speak to each of us personally and individually. I'd like you to envision a very busy street, and you're on that sidewalk of the busy street, a wide sidewalk, lots of cars, lots of people. And I want you to allow the sounds to envelop your imagination and the smells and the sights. Feel the texture of the air. Smell the exhaust. Feel the sidewalk and the people around you, the press. But as you walk down that sidewalk, you come upon an alley to your right, and you turn onto that alley, and as you begin to walk down that alley, the busyness of that city street begins to fade. The volume changes. The texture changes. And that alley becomes a road and then becomes a country road. And the environment is now different. I want you to smell the smells. Hear the sounds in your imagination. Let the Lord speak into your imagination as you walk down that country road. You arrive at a place on this country road where there's a wood next to you. And there's a path leading into that wood and you take that path. Feel the texture of the trail under your feet. Smell the air. See the leaves. Take note of your own emotions, your own feelings. As this trail opens up to a lake that has been hidden from you, a beautiful crystal clear lake with a beach. Go and take a seat at that beach. Allow your own emotions right now to match the emotions in your imagination, the feelings, the rest. And in that holy place of your mind, you notice a man coming out of the wood, and it's Jesus. He comes and he sits with you. Allow Jesus to ask, to put his finger on just one thing. Maybe an activity, maybe a physical thing, maybe a worry. It may be a triumph but one thing he wants you to give him and to subtract from your life. I'm going to invite you to remain on that beach with Jesus and until you come to a place of of what, what it is he wants you to give, one simple thing. Allow him to identify it. And when that's done, come away from that beach in your imagination. Go back to the city street. But while you're doing that, the worship team is going to lead us in a time of praise. Now, my experience is that when I give something to the Lord, I often want to take it back. And I need the support of my brothers or my sisters to help me not take it back, even if the Lord's identified it. So I understand in this church there's a a tradition that if If you would like, there are people who, to my right or to my back left, will pray with you. If you want to consolidate that thing you're giving away. Just to confirm with the Lord. And so my understanding is that you are welcome to stand up from your imagination and physically move to one of those places and have someone pray with you if you would like. You can certainly do it in your seat but if you would like confirmation from a brother or sister. Lord, have rain over this Sabbath time that we take with you this morning. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times,
1: visit us online at gotoquest.org.